Greetings and welcome, everyone, to uh, the Secretary of Child and Youth Protection with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. My name is Bernie Nohadera, along with Lauren Sommer, and our special guest today, Bishop William Walk. Uh, but before we begin, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a prayer for healing victims of abuse. Holy Spirit, comforter of hearts, heal your people's wounds and transform brokenness into wholeness. Grant us the courage and wisdom, humility and grace to act with justice. Breathe wisdom into our prayers and labors. Grant that all harmed by abuse may find peace and justice. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, Mother of our Church, comfort of sorrowful, pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our, our guest today is uh, Most Reverend William Walk, CSC, who was ordinated, ordained a priest uh, in the Congregation of Holy Cross in 1994. He served as associate pastor at Sacred Heart Parish in Colorado Springs, associate director of vocations and campus minister at Notre Dame, director of Andre House in Phoenix, and pastor of St. Ignatius Martyr Parish in Austin, Texas. On May 29, 2017, Bishop Walk was appointed by Pope Francis to serve as the sixth bishop of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, home of the Blue Angels. He was ordained and installed on August 22, 2017 in Pensacola, Florida. In addition to his duties and ministries in the diocese and in the ecclesiastical province of Miami, Bishop Bill is a former member of the Committee on, for the Protection of Children and Young People, as well as Catholic Extension. He's currently the Episcopal Liaison for the National Conference of Catholic Women. I'll turn it over to Lauren and to Bishop Bill. Welcome. And thank you for being with us. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Well, it's such a treat to have you with us, uh, Bishop Bill. Thank you. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started just as a little conversation. Um, so as a bishop, why do you feel the work of maintaining safe environments and victim assistance is so important? You know, I um, in that question, I think uh, the word maintain jumped out at me. Maintain. It, it's this is an ongoing thing. This is something we have to do, not just once, not just because we said we would, not because we're reacting about horrible things that happened in the past, but really the whole gospel is about, you know, doing something over and over and over again, preaching the good news until the Lord comes again. And so it's not just, okay, we did it. I told a few people about Jesus and now I'm done. Of course, we just, we're going to keep doing this. And so same thing as far as um, the work that we are about or the ministry that we're about in protecting all of God's children and, and caring for victims is it's an ongoing thing we maintain that we do that over and over again. Why is it important? It is absolutely central to the gospel. You know, it's what the, the commandment is this love one another. So this is a way we show love again, not just once or not just following a commandment, but this is our way of life. So it is extremely, crucially important that we maintain, we keep doing this over and over again, providing good, safe, loving, caring, grace-filled environments and caring for those who are hurting or who were hurt. A bishop, it's with intent, however, right? So this is not mechanical. We're looking at, if you will, um, this sense of mindfulness, right, in terms of who we are as a people. And so eventually what happens is 
the the onus of this is not just on the shoulders of uh, the Office of Child and Youth Protection, or, but but hopefully in the end, all of God's people will be looking out for and taking care of uh, our youth and those who are vulnerable. Absolutely, and we pray that, like you said, it's it it becomes not just something that we do out of obedience or you know commitment, but it is our second nature. It's who we are, kind of just like, you know, the gospel, you know, uh, or anything. Jesus says, I command you to love one another. So the earliest Christians must have said, well, I guess it's a commandment. We have to do this. But the goal is not just to fulfill a commandment, but to put that into practice. And the same thing, of course, is true with providing a safe environment and caring for those who have been hurt. This is this is who we are, and it's what we do in all situations. And so, and it's not just a few people, those in leadership, or, or those who are full-time ministers, or, or even just the volunteers. But it's for all of us. It's for children. It's for families, adults, parents, priests, religious. All of us need to not just do this, again, to fulfill a requirement, but to to make this a way of life in which we provide a loving environment for all of God's people and thus preach the gospel every day. And you're highlighting perfectly, Bishop, what we try to do in our office with our work is that increase of having this be right second nature. We want it to become a part of the culture that everyone just knows that this is what we're doing and we want that heightened awareness and continued vigilance uh, just to prevent further issues uh, from occurring. And that perfectly segues into our second question, which is uh, what ways have you found to uh, increase buy-in from the faithful at large? So like Bernie was mentioning, not only are we talking about offices of child and youth protection and dioceses, but just the regular um, Mary and Joe that are sitting in the pew thinking about uh, taking their kids to school on Monday. What? How do we get them uh, to buy into child and youth protection protocols? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because, you know, we just said this is not just a problem of the bishops or priests or clergy or, you know, parish leadership. This is a concern for all of us for all time. And so I think initially, you know, people said, well, hey, this is your, these were your sins. These were your uh, problems. So you need to fix it. You need to fix the church, you know, looking at us. And granted, as bishop now, um, that is a big part of what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm help, supposed to help, uh, well, to come together to do this with the whole church. But that's the key, the whole church. So we have to get, as you called, buy-in. I like that. Um, we have to get to the point where, where we say this is, again, not just my issue, but it's all of our issue. So how do you do that? I think in a couple of ways. I think... We can never get tired. We should never be tired of educating and helping to form people. And part of that is the bad news and, and telling people what led to these horrific sins of the past, um, this, this abuse in the past, what, what, what we know now. We know some of the key elements. It was uh, secrecy and isolation and uh, a culture that protects people, even abusers. Um, it was not talking about it. It was, you know, just kind of moving people around, things like that. And so we need to talk about that and remind people this is where we were. And though we're, we're not completely out of that, there are still warning signs around. And that's why we need to talk about it even more. And then also to, to increase buy-in, we talk about what we know works. And that is the opposite. And that is education, being accountable to one another, having rules and procedures in place, training um, children or forming children, empowering victims to speak out and trusting them, believing what they say. 
these are things that work. So I think when we share with them both things that, you know, led perhaps led to some of the horrific abuse that we have experienced and seen in our church, um, as well as the successes that we have, have come across and things we know that works. I think that, that hopefully, I hope, I think it does, it gets people kind of interested. It reminds them or teaches them, shows them that we're serious about this. We know what we're doing and um, they will want to join us. Well, not just want to, but they know they have to join us. This is something we're all involved in together. Yeah, thank you. And I think what you, those, those kind of buzzwords, accountability, transparency, those are something that we want to talk about a lot, but it's important to, as Bishop uh, really highlighted um, education and information sharing. All of that uh, education and those protocols are included in the Charter of Protection of Children and Young People, which was passed by the bishops in 2002. And if any of our listeners want to look at a PDF of that document, it is available on our website. Uh, but that can give you the details of the protocols and procedures that the Catholic Church now follows to help prevent abuse. So thank you, Bishop. Yeah, that was really important to note. Um, when you, we were really fortunate to have you participate in our uh, Advent retreat that we hosted for our diocesan colleagues in December, and you had uh, mentioned that you are particularly close to Saints Teresa, the Little Flower, and Mother Teresa in your spiritual life, and I was just wondering if you could give us um, kind of some idea of why those saints in particular, or maybe others, sustain you in your ministry when uh, obviously coming um, from a child need protection perspective, but then also in general? Why Why do you find that those are an important part of your faith? Well, I would say um, basically because I am like a little child. I, um, you know, when I was asked to be a, uh, a bishop, all right, I wasn't asked. I was kind of told um, when that happened. I remember complaining, <laughs> you know, and I've told this story, so many people have heard it, you know, but just I kept saying, you've got the wrong guy. I don't know if you know who I am. My little brother is a priest. He's a better priest. I said, are you sure you don't mean Neil? And, um, and then even after it was announced, I had a bishop call me and he said, you know, I was crying, like, why is this happening and everything? I, I, just, I just wanted to be a pastor. I really loved that in a parish. And he said, well, yeah. He said, look at you, Bill. He said, yeah, you're not an intellectual. And, and, and there was a long pause and I'm like, oh, I'm still on the, hello, I'm still here. He said, no, hear me out. You're not an intellectual. You're a joyful pastor. You have a heart for the poor and um, homeless and inmates and, and um, people in other countries and immigrants and all that. And he said, that's what Pope Francis wants. And that's what we need. But it's that, I, that joyful spirit. That's kind of my thing, if you will. I'm not the smartest <laughs> bishop in the room. That's for sure. But I'm really attracted to that spirituality, especially of St. Teresa of Lisieux, because she called herself a little flower. She wanted to be a little flower to receive, you know, like the sun, the, the, the rain, but really God's grace, God's love, God's mercy and forgiveness, and reflect that back to God and to others. And, um, and you know, Mother Teresa said, you know, it's, it's not that we do these extraordinary things. We, we hope to do ordinary things, little things with great love. So I'm really drawn to that type of spirituality that is so easily accessible, you know, it's just, and I don't, I don't mean to say that, you know, I'm not ignoring all the difficult problems in the world or anything like that, because there certainly are, and we need to pay attention to that. But I think the, the way I hear the gospel more and more, especially through the lens of that childlike spirituality is Jesus just saying, you don't get it. Your father loves you. Your father created you in love and loves you completely. Why are you fighting it? Why are you jealous of others? Just accept it let him love you 
And so um, I'm drawn especially to them and other saints, you know, in Holy Cross, we have our only saint is uh, Brother Andre Bessette, the miracle man of Montreal, um, a very, very simple man who just pointed people to God through St. Joseph all his life. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm drawn to that type of spirituality, especially. Well, I know all those who meet you are very grateful for your spirit and your joy is absolutely contagious. So we uh, absolutely appreciate that uh, element of your uh, spirituality and bringing that into our lives. Go ahead. Can I say one other thing too? Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> with, with spirituality, another part of my spirituality as a Holy Cross priest is the cross. I know this almost sounds contrary to what I was just saying, childlike simplicity, and then you have the cross, but of course they go together. But in Holy Cross, our, our charism is obviously the cross. Our motto is Ave Crux Spes Unica, hail the cross, our only hope. And in our constitutions and in our writings, it says, if we shirk the cross, if we eschew or, or avoid the cross, then gone is our hope of the resurrection. That there is no resurrection without the cross. And so how does that translate to, to ministry and spirituality? I, you know, we know that everyone is carrying crosses. We know that the world seems to be under the cross these days, every day, really. And so what we try to do as Holy Cross, what I try to do as a priest and now as a bishop, is be with people in their suffering. And um, there's not a lot we can do. I can't take away the crosses. Maybe I can be like Simon of Cyrene and help carry people's crosses for a while. But basically just to be with people and to, to, to point them beyond the cross to what we know is certain, and that is hope and eternal life. That also is a big part of my spirituality, embracing the cross and helping others to do the same, not out of a, you know, in a masochistic way, but because we know that it ends in glory. And that's the only way to glory with God. And that's the cornerstone of victim assistance ministry, right? That's the whole point why we do all of this is to walk with victims and be there for them and anything that we can do to help. Um, just before we go on, uh, I just want to note that if anyone is listening that is a victim of clergy sexual abuse or knows someone, uh, you absolutely are not alone and you can have many resources to report uh, that instance. You can go on our website and find a full listing of diocesan victim assistance coordinators, or you can report to civil authorities. Uh, there are a few ways for you to report if you'd like to, or if you just like some pastoral care, we can also provide those resources to you as well. Um, so <clears throat> please check out our website if you need any of that contact information. <clears throat> As for our next question, Bishop Bill, uh, you, again, perfectly segued into it. Uh, so we uh, wanted to talk about building on that joy and, the, and this image of the cross. So you had uh, already said that the world currently kind of seems like it's under a cross these days, if not all the time. So what particular words of hope would you give to those feeling disheartened after this year in particular that's been really tumultuous for all of humanity? Well, it is that. It's hope. And, and as I said, it's kind of something I say a lot. Um, we know how this ends. Um, and it, I got that from, um, I told this story many times, but it was a woman who lived on the street, um, outside of our, our ministry there in Phoenix in a little cardboard box. She lived there and died there. And, um, but I was, we were friends and, and uh, we would talk almost every day. And uh, one day she saw that I was having a bad day. Um, I was having a bad day and she's living in a box. But anyway, um, she came in to comfort me. It was amazing. 
And I just said, I don't know, Gloria. I mean, what are we doing? What, are we making a difference? Look at all this. You have the drugs and the prostitution and the homelessness and hundreds and hundreds of people there every day. And she said, Chaplain, you, you, you always talk about this. Lift up your head, Chaplain. She said, we know how this ends. This all ends in glory. You talk about that all the time. Don't you believe that? And she kind of, it was really interesting. She didn't shame me into it, but just kind of woke me up. And I love that. So I will always use her line. We know how this ends. This ends in glory. And please understand me. That's not a way, she did not mean this. And I don't mean this as a way of kind of burying our heads, just saying, you know what? Forget all of you. I'm going to ignore all of you. And it's pie in the sky when we die type of stuff. Just get through this, grit our teeth, and we'll be in heaven. No, it means knowing how it ends. And I love what this Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI said this. The difference, the, the key hallmark of us as Christians is we know we have a future. It's a future of hope. And knowing that, how it ends, helps us to live well in the present. So it helps us to be attentive, to be hope-filled now, to be people who bring comfort and grace and healing and mercy to those around us now, pointing to the ultimate joy that comes in the end. So I really do. I think a lot of times when we're in a difficult era or time in our life, we just focus on ourselves, on our problems, you know, and I'd say this to the kids that I, kids, the teenagers whom I uh, confirm all the time, I say, you know, it's normal to think I'm all alone. No one knows what I'm going through. No one loves me. No one's on my side. But I said, that's false. That's a lie that comes from the devil. You are not alone. You have your brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. So it's really just to remind people of what we know to be true that God loves me, God is with me, and God wants me to be with him now and forever in heaven. And we will be. We can expect that, not just hope for it and wish that it's going to happen, but we can expect that if we follow the Lord. It's a long answer, but that's really how I, what I'm trying to, to preach and tell people today, especially in the midst of uh, you know, the pandemic and so many difficult things and the division and the acrimony that we face every day in the world. Bishop Bill, I, uh, I, I'd like to uh, interject here really quickly, and, and you brought me uh, back uh, to the time when I would work directly with sur- survivor victims, and the many times I've been humbled uh, in their ministering to me, um, and I, I just, I'm just taken aback um, with, with how they end up, uh, just the courage to share their story, just the courage to come forward. Uh, just the courage to want to to try to make this right and to try to get their lives together. I'm very humbled. Um, and so I, I'm grateful for your bringing that because what we have here is an opportunity, each and every one of us, to minister to each other. And I get that all the time with the survivor victims. And again, very humbled by uh, being in their presence and, and being in their, in their glory, in their, in their, in their holiness, um, especially as they're striving towards trying to get that wholeness back, that holiness back. Absolutely. And I think that underscores uh, the need to listen and be present to people. You know, um, I'm an extrovert. I like to talk, but I really need to personally, I need to work on just listening. And that's a big part of ministry, not to solve everything because we can't solve problems. We have a savior to do that, but we can listen and we can just sit with people in their brokenness and, and their, their, their trials and, and be with them, you know, be a neighbor. Um, it reminds me, you know, the story of, of course, the, the good, uh, the good Samaritan, you know, that Jesus told that because they said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story and then turned it around at the end. And he said, which one was neighbor 
to the man, to the, to the robber. So it's a mind shift. It's not just, oh, that's my neighbor. I need to be good to that person. No, I need to be neighbor. I need to listen. I need to walk with people, especially in their hurt and brokenness. And just on another note too, Bishop, bouncing off of what Bernie had said, something that strikes me with victim survivors too is their incredible love for the church. I mean, there are some that obviously are struggling with coming back to the church, but others who just still understand that and love the faith. And even though they've been through this unimaginable suffering, they're still um, really in love with what Catholicism is at the heart. Um, and it's just a part of that listening and meeting them where they are, like you've already been saying, to give them whatever pastoral care that they need. Um, <clears throat> additionally, uh, we'll go ahead with our uh, final question. As a bishop, you are a respected leader within the Catholic Church, and pastors and rabbis and clerics of other faiths also have significant influence within their denominations. Many of these religious leaders are addressing the issue of child abuse within their congregations, even from the pulpit. So how might uh, Catholic church leaders reach out and engage in this conversation with religious nuns or those who are claiming no religious affiliations? How do we get them uh, to buy in as an audience? Right, and it's a growing number of people, that's for sure. Um, uh, the, who, the people who just say, you know, they have no religious affiliation, they check that box or whatever. Um, they may say, oh, I still believe in God, and, and that's great. I love what you do in church, but that's not me. I'm, I'm fine, you know, with God on my own. I think there's a couple things. One is we should not judge them right away and say, well, that's it, then you're cut off. You know what I mean? Uh, again, I just think about so many stories in the, in the Gospels. When uh, one, one is where the apostles or the disciples are walking with Jesus through a, a town, and they, were, they did not welcome them, it says. That's probably the Bible's way of saying they were throwing stuff at them, spitting at them, shouting curses and, and epithets at them. And Peter says, do we call down thunder from heaven and destroy them? You know, and Jesus just looked at them, but said, no, we're moving on to the next town. So we should not do that and, and, and criticize them or judge them, but instead kind of do what, um, what St. Paul did with the, the Greeks. And that happened to be the reading at mass this morning where he said, I know you are smart people. I know you love philosophy and you love to think and all that. Well, we've got the answers. God is the answer to all this. He's the one who created math and philosophy and the world and creation, and all of that. So it's to, to, to talk to them where they are and then to inject or interject, if you will, uh, the gospel, the truth. And I think that really helps not to hit them over the head with it, but to meet them where they are. There's so many other things we can do as well. I think one thing is we certainly shouldn't wait for them to come into our churches or offices because not only are they not doing that, but, you know, even before the pandemic, people were going out the front door. Um, we need to, as Pope Francis says, go out to engage people and counter them to use one of his favorite concepts and words to encounter people. Um, and, you know, I'm challenging myself to do that. I'm challenging the whole diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee to do that. And I'm also challenging, included in that, is our priests. I, I meet with them one-on-one -on -one and I say, how are you evangelizing? Give me an example of how you evangelize. I know you preach every day and every Sunday. I know you're celebrating the sacraments, but do you ever get a chance to go out and just talk to people about Jesus? And it's really and it bringing up a lot of conversations you know, with us. It's reminding us that, yeah, even as a priest, especially as a priest, we should be doing that. And then just fun examples that... Um, that I have, um, I shared this with the priests and uh, it's a tiny thing, but who knows, this is a way we engage people. 
I went to a, a gas station recently to to uh, fill up a little propane tank, and I was out there, and I realized, oh, I need to go in and pay first. So I went in there, and there were two 20-somethings, two guys who obviously were talking about me because I was dressed in the blacks, you know, in the collar. And I paid the money, and the guy gave me the change, and he said, here you go, father. And I said, yes, I am, Catholic priest. And he says to his friend, he's like, ha, I told you, because I grew up Catholic. And I knew he was a priest when I saw that, how he was dressed. And I said, well, actually, you guys, just to be honest, I'm, to be totally true, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bishop. And the other one says, in your face, ha, I knew it. I saw that cross around his neck. I was a Methodist youth minister. Our bishop had that and everything. So we talked for a bit. And then the, and there were other people in the gas station. I said, boys, or yeah, I guess I said, boys, men, you know what the, the, the saddest thing about what, just, what you just said is? is that you used to be a Catholic. I used to be a Methodist minister. I said, what's going on? And they, they both looked down. And again, there's customers there listening to this whole thing. They both looked down. They said, yeah, you're right. Guess maybe we're looking for a sign or, or not. Maybe something just the right time to do it. And I, I just kind of pointed to myself. I'm like, here's your sign. And they're like, all right, all right, maybe we will. And as I went out, they said, God bless you. And I said, God bless you all. It's a small little thing, but I think to engage people, we, we can't just wait for them to come to us. We have to go out to, uh, to live our faith out loud and purposefully where they are. I love that you told that story. And I think approaching them, just those, those men as a person too, right? You, you are a bishop, but you're also just a man of God. Like the rest, like we are uh, as faithful and just saying, you know, even though there is, I do have clerics in this cross, which identify me as a bishop, I'm still a man of God as you are. And let's, let's talk about that. So that was an excellent, that's excellent. You had also mentioned that you've been talking to some priests in your diocese about how they've been um, just preaching Jesus uh, in a general way to the, their congregations. I'm curious, have you gotten any feedback from them about uh, any new strategies that they've been able to evangelize during the pandemic in particular? Because obviously people aren't in church in person as much as they normally would be. Are they still able to really communicate that gospel message to their congregations in maybe some creative ways? Yes, absolutely. Like, like so many things um, being in that the pandemic, especially the first several months, you know, kind of forced us to go back to our roots and, and kind of reminded us, oh, yeah, we've got to share our faith one at a time. So, you know, one by one or whatever. And so one of the strategies that we used and many parishes did in schools is calling people, calling every registered parishioner and uh, just saying, hey, just you could, it was a great excuse because you could say, um, I know the church uh, is closed right now to a congregation, so I'm just calling just to see, is there, how are you doing? Are you okay? Is there anything we can do? Can I pray for you? And um, wow, it, you know, the, the priest would tell me that that just, A, it felt good. It felt like this is what we're supposed to be doing. And B, the response was just, you know, so joyful, so good, so loving. I don't think anyone ever said stop bothering me and hung up, you know, it's, they were, they were, they were touched. They were so happy. And many people said, this is the first time I've ever gotten a phone call from my church, from staff, from a priest that where they didn't ask me for money or something like that. Um, and so it kind of turned on a light for all of us really, that this is something we should be doing all the time. Now we can't constantly call everyone on the, on the rolls, but can we do that once a year? Can we do that, you know, spread that up among the, the, the parish team and have each one call 50 or 100 people, you know, in the course of a year 
absolutely we can and we should. So that was one way. And um, another thing, yeah, yeah, they were sharing these stories one at a time, you know, with me and with others about how they evangelize or just little ways. And there's something that one of uh, our priests does with his family. He's actually a convert. He was an Episcopalian priest, so he has a wife and three children. And he said when they go out and he's in the blacks, um, they'll, they'll uh, when they, they pray grace, usually the, the server is there, you know, of course, they're always there. Is there anything I can do for you? Well, they always ask the server, they say, we're about to pray grace. Um, do you have any intentions or would you like to join us? And a lot of times, you know, it's like they just say, wow, no one's ever asked me that. Could you, yeah, could you pray for my aunt? Or yeah, I'll join you and they'll, they'll be right there praying. Um, now it might not always work. In fact, I tried it last night, actually, the restaurant and she's like, uh, no, and walked away. But <laughs> yeah, I wasn't hurt by that. It's just putting ourselves out there in different ways, I think, and inviting people in ways they may not expect to pray or to remember God is with you. Lauren, I want to put you on the spot really quickly. Um, just out of curiosity, I know we're coming to a close here pretty soon, but, uh, any takeaways? The one thing I love about our these podcasts are such in such a brief amount of time. There's so many beautiful, rich learnings and examples and advice and counsel and uh, stories. I just any takeaways for you? Uh, thanks, Bernie. I think uh, Bishop has really done a, a wonderful job of highlighting that joy. That's something that I continue to strive for in my own spirituality. And I'm personally very connected to the saints. So I always love it when people talk about other saints that they love and to see uh, you Bishop in your leadership role, be this joyful uh, and this passionate about what is going on in our church makes a big difference to uh, myself uh, and those of us who are a little younger in the church as we start raising families and uh, continue in sacraments, just uh, you're enriching a faith that we already have as a foundation and we can see another good light um, even as we move through uh, these continuing scandals and um, this part of preventing abuse from future occurrences. You know, we can already see even from our annual reports that uh, those cases of substantiated abuse have decreased significantly even just in the past 20 years since the charter has been passed. Um, but it's uh, always important to keep that in the forefront of our minds and that uh, I really appreciate you highlighting the joy that's found in the church and the theology rather than looking at the sort of fallible humanity that can sometimes bring a bit of a stain to what's going on. Um, and then your passion just for victim and survivors and listening and meeting everyone where they are. Um, it's so appreciated and wonderful to hear from someone in a leadership role. That's a great list, uh, Lauren. I kind of had the same thing too, but I wanted to point out that uh, Bishop Bill talked on several occasions, education and practice, and actually used the word practice on several occasions. And, you know, safe environment and uh, a culture of safety and healing and protection doesn't just come about. I mean, that's something we have to work on. It's, it's practice. And so my list takeaways from today, you know, practice safe environment as best you can. You know, practice the, the ministry and gift of accompaniment, of, of compassion of empathy, um, practice being joyful, practice being full of hope, uh, practice, you know, ministering to each other, even if it's just a smile, um, practice building relationships. And I have here, I'm finally, you know, I guess just practice being like Jesus. 
Um, and so, uh, again, these opportunities that we have to encounter and to to be the presence, the 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 uh, image of of, of Christ, uh, we have that as a gift that we can give and and receive. And so, um, um, again, a blessing that we have you uh, with us uh, today, Bishop Bill. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks for all, all the good ministry and the work that you do in, in helping us to be to learn and to grow in our faith and in the way we can be you know, good providers of a, a safe and healthy and joyful and grace-filled environment for all of God's people. Uh, thank you, Bishop. Uh, we were wondering if you would give us just a final blessing as we close out here on this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. O oh, good and gracious God, you have created us in your image and likeness. You sent your only Son to show us the way to you, and you put your Holy Spirit within our hearts. Bless us. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to receive it with great joy, as did Mary and all of the saints, so that your presence, your grace, your mercy, your love may be multiplied in us, and it may overflow to our brothers and sisters and back to you. Bless us. Help us to be good and faithful ministers of the gospel today and always. And bless those who are hurting, those who are sick in body, mind, or spirit. Bring about full healing for them so that they may continue to give you glory and be a joy to their brothers and sisters. Bless all your children, I pray, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Bishop.